When you think of God, what words or images come to mind? You don't have to shout them out loud. Just think for a moment. What words or images come to mind? God is many, many things. There are so many images and words and phrases to describe God in the Bible. But one thing God is without a shadow of a doubt, God is a passionate lover. Now I'm guessing that's not the first thing that came to your mind, but it's absolutely true. And we know God is a passionate lover from many passages in the Bible, including from the book of Song of Solomon or Song of Songs that Pat read from us for us today. We know from the prophet Isaiah, from the prophet Hosea, and we also know from these verses in 1 John chapter 4, beginning at verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does, not, whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is perfected in us. How can you hear those words and not think God is a passionate lover? And from these verses, we learn that God is love, that God is the source of human love, that God's love is self-giving and self-sacrificing, that we love others because God first loved us. And when we love others, God lives in us. Now, unfortunately, the word love gets used so much by people like me and also by a lot of people that it can kind of lose its power to communicate. One of my closest friends when I was in seminary in a past century was a terrific guy named Paul Baker. He's a pastor out in Minnesota, and he shared with me recently about how imagining love in a new way, you know, you can hear this passage from 1 John in a fresh way if you just make a little change. For example, if you substitute for the word love the phrase warm chocolate chip cookies, because if you do, then 1 John 4 sounds like this. Dear friends, let us give warm chocolate chip cookies to one another. For warm chocolate chip cookies are from God. And everyone who gives warm chocolate chip cookies has been born of God and knows God. Whoever doesn't give warm chocolate chip cookies doesn't know God because God is warm chocolate chip cookies. This is how God gave his warm chocolate chip cookies to us. He sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. This is warm chocolate chip cookies. Not that we gave warm chocolate chip cookies to God, but that he gave warm chocolate chip cookies to us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so gave warm chocolate chip cookies to us, 
we also ought to give warm chocolate chip cookies to one another. God, no one has ever seen God. But if we give warm chocolate chip cookies to one another, God lives in us. And his warm chocolate chip cookies are made complete in us. Amen. And I'm really sorry that I didn't ask a team of people to be baking warm chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> so that when this service ended, we could give you a warm chocolate chip cookie when you leave. But, but that's talking about love, right? And all human love from spouse to spouse from parent to child, from family member to family member, from friend to friend, even from follower of Christ to anyone else. All these examples of love are based on, first and foremost, God's love for us. And love in the Bible is characterized by self-giving and by self-sacrifice. In the Bible, we hear about four different forms of love. They're all identified by a different Greek word, and three are family love, brotherly love, and God's divine love which seeks the good of the other. And the fourth form of love is romantic love. It's the kind of love that's described in Song of Solomon. In Song of Solomon or Song of Songs, it's, it's a love song. And while I understand that everyone here and everyone watching is not married, I hope that talking about love and how love is to be in a marriage and in all our relationships, that that can be useful for each of us, no matter what our life situation may be. So I want to start by asking you a question. Do you have a favorite love song or two? Think for a moment, what you, I mean, what's a favorite love song or two that you have? And it could come from pop music or musicals. It could be from the Great American Songbook. It could be from rock and all jazz. It all depends on what genre of music you like. But there are thousands of songs about love, about looking for love, sometimes in all the wrong places, about falling in love, being in love, losing love, staying in love. I mean, we could just rattle off titles all day. But if you start thinking about love, those songs will be different, but I guarantee you everyone can think of some, every one of us. And love songs are as old as humanity. If you look back in the book of Ezekiel, in Ezekiel chapter 33 and verse 32, it's the end of a dialogue between the Lord and the prophet, and the Lord is saying to the prophet that, look, the people are going to hear your words, and they're not going to obey them. And what's the image that the Lord uses? This is what the Lord says. Indeed to them, you are nothing more than one who sings love songs with a beautiful voice and plays an instrument well, for they hear your words, but do not put them into practice. 2,500-year-old verse that's using love songs as an illustration. So I think we can say love songs are pretty old, Right? And Song of Songs is like a love song. It's mostly a duet between a woman and a man. And there's a little background chorus of some other voices, friends of the bride. And they're singing about their love and desire for one another. Now, over the centuries, some Bible scholars have, have tried to say that, well, Song of Songs is an allegory about God's love for Israel and for the church. And while some people may have that view, I have to say, I just think that's really quite a stretch. If you sit down and read this book aloud, you know what it is. 
and it's love poetry. And perhaps because for many years the church was reluctant to talk about our physical bodies and sex, even between a husband and a wife, an allegory about God and Israel or the church seemed like a safe way to describe Song of Solomon. But it is what it is. It's love poetry that beautifully descriptive and at times very sensual. Now you might be asking, why did God put eight chapters of love poetry in the Bible? Well, perhaps because who we love and how to love another person, those are among the most important and impactful choices we make in our life. And Song of Songs is about attraction and faithfulness, about warding off temptation to cheat, about the preciousness of love, its joys and pleasures, the dangers of infidelity, and the fact that love is as strong as death and never can be extinguished. And the nature of this love is expressed in chapter 8 in verses 6 and 7, which says, Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm." For love is as strong as death, passion, fierce as the grave. Its flashes are flashes of fire, a raging flame. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. If one offered for love all the wealth of his house, it would be utterly scorned. Beatles said, money can't buy you love. Well, there it is. Song of Songs opens with a young woman saying, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. Later in chapter 2, the young man in springtime is calling out to his beautiful lover to go with him to the hills. Anyone who has ever fallen in love in your life, you can appreciate and relate to the eagerness and anticipation and longing of these chapters if you read them. And because this book of love poetry is in the Bible, it's clear that God approves of sexual desire appropriately expressed. Now, some branches of the church throughout history have elevated celibacy or chastity as higher forms of devotion to God. And among some expressions of the Christian faith, Sexual desire became something that was almost seen as dirty rather than as an expression of our God-given nature. You know, one of the best-known mistranslations in the King James Version of the Bible occurs in Song of Songs in chapter 2 and verse 12. In the King James Version, it says, The flowers appear on the earth, the time of the singing of birds is come, and the voice of the turtle is heard in our land. Well, it's supposed to be the voice of the turtle dove, not the voice of the turtle. But it is somewhat romantic to think that even a turtle seeks a lover and is calling out, you know. But clearly you can read Song of Songs and you know that God thinks sex is a wonderful thing. After all, God is the one who created it. And Song of Songs is full of the language and the imagery of passionate love between a bride and a groom. And the pair sings of this walled garden, of this secret place open only to the devoted couple. 
where they share mutual delight and intimacy and a heightened appreciation of the beauty around them and between them. And throughout the Bible, we learn that love in all its forms and contexts is first of all a set of behaviors and attitudes and actions that are far broader than just the concept of love as a physical or romantic attraction. Love is a set of behaviors that you live out. How do you do this? Well, in Gary Chapman's well-known 1992 book, The Five Love Languages, he outlines five ways that people express and experience love. And he says that we all need to express and experience love in all five of these ways. And they are acts of service, gift-giving, physical touch, quality time, and words of affirmation. Now, as you look at those five love languages, can you identify which of them are most important to you? And again, this doesn't matter whether you're married or single or anything. We all need to give and receive love with the people in our life. What are the ones that are most important for you? If you are married, can you identify what the most important one or two might be for your spouse or for other family members? or for like your closest friend. The reason why this is important is because if one person, my primary love language is physical touch, and the person who's trying to express love to me, their, their primary thing is gift giving, and that person giving gifts thinks, I'm, see, I'm sharing my love with you, right? And the person whose primary thing is like, you know, could you give me a hug? See the difference? And that's why it's important to know, what are yours, what are the primary love languages of those who are close around you. Now, the most familiar description in the Bible of this active kind of love is, of course, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And listen to the behaviors that are mentioned. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Love always protects. Love doesn't attack one's spouse. Love goes out of its way to protect one's spouse. Love always trusts and is prepared to give one's partner the benefit of the doubt over and over again. Love hopes, which means love is prepared to hope the best about one's partner. Love perseveres. It's a commitment to work things out together. The French writer Antoine de Saint-Exupéry wrote, Love does not consist in gazing at each other, one perfect sunrise gazing at another, but in looking outward together in the same direction. The net result, Paul says, is love never fails. That doesn't mean love always succeeds, but it does mean that love keeps on keeping on and that even death can't stop it. You know, having the holidays of Thanksgiving and Christmas just four weeks apart, times that we associate with spending with loved ones, can make our sense of grief more painful or more acute this time of year. In just the last several weeks, we've had three members of our church who have lost their spouse. 
And that's, this can be a tough time of year because of that, even while at the same time it's one of the most wonderful times of the year for others of us. Christ, whose birth we celebrate at Christmas, conquered death. And in the resurrection, we see clearly that God's, God's love is stronger even than death. And love is also stronger than death in the sense that because we remember those we loved and we carry them in our heart and in our memory, there's a sense in which they still go on with us, isn't there? Even after they're gone. You know, one of the ways that love is able to keep going in a marriage and in any relationship is through laughter. Laughter, a cheerful heart, not taking oneself too seriously. Uh, I mean, laughter lubricates relationships. And the great thing about laughter and a sense of humor is you go through all sorts of things if you're married for many, many decades, right? Or just getting older. Physically, we may not be the same. But laughter can stay with you to the very last day of your life. And it helps. You know, I shared with some people about what I was preaching on, and I got some emails. And um, let's face it, many women have their hands full dealing with work, dealing with kids, dealing with their spouses. And a woman emailed me the following story. One day a seamstress was sewing while sitting close to a river and her thimble fell into the river. And she cried out and the Lord appeared to her and said, my dear child, why are you crying? And the seamstress replied that her thimble had fallen into the river and she needed it to help her husband in making a living for their family. And the Lord dipped his hand into the water and pulled up a golden thimble set with pearls and said, is this your thimble? And the seamstress said, no. And the Lord dipped his hand into the river again and came up with, came up with a silver thimble ringed with sapphires. And the Lord said, is this your thimble? And the woman said, no. And the Lord reached into the river a third time and came out with a humble leather thimble and said, is this your thimble? And the woman said, yes, it is. And the Lord was pleased with the woman's honesty and gave her all three thimbles. And the seamstress went home very happy. Some years later, the seamstress and her husband were walking along the same riverbank and the husband fell into the river and disappeared beneath the surface of the water. And the woman cried out and the Lord appeared and said, my child, why are you crying? And the seamstress said, Lord, my husband has fallen into the river. And the Lord dipped into the river and came up with George Clooney. And the Lord said, is this your husband? And the woman said, yes. And the Lord said, you lied. That's not true. And the woman said, no, no, Lord, forgive me. It's, it's just a misunderstanding. Because if I had said this wasn't my husband, you would have come up with Brad Pitt. And then if I said, no, that's not my husband, you would have come up with my husband. And then you would have given the all three to be my husband. And Lord, I'm not in the best of health anymore, and I wouldn't be able to take care of all three husbands, so that's why I said yes to George Clooney. <laughs> you never know when a woman is... Now, in the name of equal time, let me also say a husband sent me the following email. A husband sent me an email about a new store that opened in New York City. It's called The Husband Store where a woman can go to pick out a husband. And their instructions 
on the entrance that describes how the store operates. It says, you may visit the store only once. And there are six floors. And the attributes of the men increase as the shopper ascends the flights. There is, however, a catch. You can pick a man from any particular floor, or you may choose to go up a floor, but you cannot go back down except to exit the building. So a woman goes to the husband's store to find a husband. And on the first floor, the sign in the door reads, these men have jobs and love the Lord. Well, not bad, she says, but she moves on. She goes to the second floor. And floor two, it says, these men have jobs, love the Lord, and love kids. Sounds good, but she continues upward. The sign in the third floor says, these men have jobs, love the Lord, love kids, and are extremely good looking. Wow, she thinks. But she feels compelled to keep going, and she goes to the fourth floor. In the fourth floor, it says, these men have jobs, love the Lord, love kids, are drop-dead gorgeous, and help with housework. Whew. Mercy, she exclaims. But still, she goes on. She goes to the fifth floor, and the sign reads, These men have jobs, love the Lord, love kids, are drop-dead gorgeous, help with the housework, and have a strong romantic streak. <laughs> She's so tempted to stay and to pick one, but she goes up to the sixth floor, and the sign in the sixth floor reads, You are visitor 4,363,912 to this floor. There are no men on this floor. This floor is simply to, hear, to prove that women are impossible to please. Thank you for shopping at the husband's store. Have a nice day. Watch your step as you exit the building. So. There's a reason why it's said that laughter is the best medicine, right? That's why Proverbs says a cheerful heart is good medicine. Being able to laugh together. Being able to laugh at oneself, at each other. You know that whole thing, I'm not laughing at you, I'm laughing with you. Sometimes you are laughing at someone, let's just be honest. Laughing at the absurdity of life, it's a good thing for all of us in our relationships, especially in a marriage, but in all our relationships, because humor stays with you through all the stages of life. If you want to build a stronger marriage, I encourage you to sit down and read Song of Songs aloud together, preferably with candlelight. Do that because the song is concerned with how one person can respond faithfully to the attractiveness of and fulfill the needs of the other. You know, in the modern world, romance, is, it's almost like it's thought of something that precedes a marriage. And in the Song of Songs, what we see is that romance is something that should continue through and characterize a marriage. I pray that it would be so. May we keep loving and keep laughing all of our days. I want to close with a lovely prayer by Joyce Rupp about love in its many forms. Please join me in a spirit of prayer. God of affection, devotion, passion, tenderness, and all forms of love, this day we thank you for the myriad ways that we have been given a touch of your goodness, for love that draws us to friendship and fidelity, love that leads us to kindness and compassion, love that stirs in our flesh and dances in our bones, love that lures us toward the sacred and serene, 
Love that calls us to new vision and growth. Love that soothes our heartaches and gentles our pain. Love that sees worth in each human being. Love that believes in us and whispers with hope. Love that sings in the seasons and sighs in the wind. Love that taps on the door of forgiveness. Love that longs for peace among all humankind. Love that surprises and fills us with awe. Love that sings praise for the face of earth's beauty. Love that offers the hand of warm welcome. Love that respects those who won't come too near. Love that urges us to take risks and have courage. Love that goes out to those from afar. Love that embraces the shadow in us. Love that sheds the old skin and welcomes the new. Love that ripens our souls for the final journey home. Amen.